0: Welcome to the Jesus Culture Podcast. Great to have you with us wherever you're listening from. I'm excited about today because I get to sit down with one of my closest friends and somebody who is an inspiration in my life. And you're going to want to hear what he has to say today uh, because maybe, and I think I can say this confidently, one of the biggest risk takers I know and somebody who is completely sold out and is willing to sacrifice for the call of God We're going to be talking about that. We're actually going to be talking about not only how do you get vision, but all that comes with vision in regards to risk and execution. So we're excited to be able to do that. Uh, We're joined by co-host Phil Manginelli, who is here not on maternity leave. Phil Manginelli is not on maternity leave. Uh, So it's good to have you. (laughs) Becky is though. Becky's still. I think we're very close to her coming
1: back. It'd be
2: pretty awkward if I did request maternity leave. I was going to say, that's a whole nother conversation. That's um, probably a podcast all on its own is manternity leave. We should probably do a session on that.
0: Is this bad guys? Because I'm like now that old guy who there is kind of paternity leave and you can do, which I love. I actually think it's a positive. I think it's actually a positive for the men to go home and be home with that baby for uh, that season. But I'm totally the guy that's like, what? I was back at work the next day. Next day I was back <laughs> exactly. at work. Exactly. I'm gonna think like, like, you want time off? You know, and uh, it's horrible. Should I even be sharing this? Am I legally responsible now if I'm sharing this type of stuff? I actually look back and realize <laughs> that was so unhealthy. So like just so unhealthy. I could have gone home and supported my wife a little bit more in those first two weeks of uh oh, man. having a baby, but
1: well that's it paternity leave is no rest right like it's actually rest is staying at work yeah <laughs> like it is like if you're if you're looking for some break it's actually going right back to like- work so the whole vision of paternity leave is Trying to go and be an ally. It's
0: totally what happens is is my I'd come home from work a hard day of youth pastoring. You don't understand what that is. It's not easy to sit at Starbucks and to have some coffee with a young person and to have to so hard. come up with creative skits. I'd come home and she'd be like, I- "I'm sorry, did you go to the bathroom by yourself today?" I'm like, "Yeah, a few times. You know, I was at, had had lunch with some friends. You know, so yeah, it was a break." But here we are. So anyways, great to have you on the podcast. We are going to introduce our, our, our guest with us today, Andy Bird uh, from YWAM and The Sind. We're going to jump in. Andy, we're excited to have you on with us today
2: pumped to be here, guys. This is so fun. These are You guys are two of my favorite dudes in the world, and I uh, like that we already started off by talking about maternity leave, <laughs> Man- so this is only going to this, this is, is only gonna get better. better from it here. It can only That's get about.
0: better from here. I want to make sure you know before we jump into the topic today that um, we have recently partnered with World Vision. Absolutely love what World Vision is doing to be on the front lines of taking care of the poor, taking care of orphans, improving just quality of life, education, all the things that are needed um, where people are encountering kind of these struggles. And we've said this before, and I, I, you know, I, I'm convinced that you uh, need to be partnering with people on the front lines. We've got a missionary here today with us, and Andy. Either, you, know, you, you need, not all of us can go be on the front lines of helping orphans. And all of us can go beyond the front lines of reaching the unreached, but you need to be partnering with people that are. That is my challenge to you. And so this is what we've done uh, with the podcast network across the board, Authentic You and uh, Man Camp and the Sermon of the Week and Pastors Podcast and the Jesus Culture Podcast. We've partnered with World Vision with a program called Chosen. And uh, we'd really encourage you to check it out. You're going to hear a little bit of a snippet in the middle of the podcast, but really encourage you to check it out. And if you're not supporting, there's a lot of great organizations. World Vision is obviously one of the best. If you're not sponsoring a kid, I would encourage you to do that. Today we get to jump in with Andy, talk a little vision, how to get vision, how to execute vision, all that's involved with that. But before we do that, Andy, some of your story is you have been uh, part of YWAM, uh, which YWAM's all over. How How many nations is YWAM in? Do you know that About stat? About 190. Okay, he does know that stat. YWAM is in 190 nations. Obviously, multiply that. In, it's in multiple cities, obviously, in each nation. So it's, I mean, do you know how many bases there are? About 2,200. Okay, so, so Phil, Phil, let's do the math on this. There's 190 nations, 2,200 bases that Andy could have served the Lord from. <laughs> that Andy and his family <laughs> could have gone and served wait, the Lord wait, and reached people. Wait, I see where this is going. Hey, Andy, first of That's all, right. you're a guest, so you'll talk when I, ad- I, I address cornered. you, okay? I'm, so I'm so this, is, this right is not now. your podcast. 2,200 locations around the world that he could have gone to sacrifice as a missionary to give his life in service of the gospel that all would be won, and yet somehow Andy ends up in Hawaii. In Kona, Hawaii, does that, does that even count as a missionary? Do you ever, this isn't honest, I'm being sarcastic right now, but do you ever have to explain that to people? Like, especially when you were starting out,
2: all the time, no, still. I like, like just to, I like to beat people to the punchline, you know, because it's the same every time, and they always think they're the first one to come up with the joke. Like, <laughs> oh, suffering for Jesus in Hawaii, right? And you're like, wow, I've never heard that. Gosh, that's true. I've never even thought about it. I never thought about it. They have. It's the, constant. Is
0: it is it harder for young people? who come to your DTSs, which I got to say this, listen, I know we're being sarcastic. Phil and I have both been there. We would both attest to this. We've sent many of our young people through uh, a DTS in Kona, Fire and Fragrance. It's, it's legitimately, I think, one of the most transformation. and I, this is going to sound so dramatic, but it is one of the most transformational places on the planet. And uh, we send young people there. There's few places I trust, at the level I do with what Andy's leading in Kona. But, but is it harder for them to raise money when they say they're going to Hawaii? It, this is an honest, an honest YWAM question. Like, is yeah. it easier when like, yeah. I'm going to Kenya, I'm going to Hawaii?
2: Right, right. I think the thing that makes it work probably a little bit harder is that often they're emphasizing that they're getting trained in Hawaii, but they're getting launched all over the world. So they're heading to Africa, heading sure, to Asia, sure. heading to you know, South America. So that, that kind of helps a little bit. If it was just all Hawaii, I'm guessing it would be even harder.
0: I'm actually going to be in Hawaii in August. I'm going to see you, Andy. I'm going to be officiating my niece's wedding out there in Kona. And it's funny, as everybody's like, you're going to Hawaii, and you're going to Kona, and, and that's awesome. I'm like, yeah, I don't want to downplay it, but August... Is brutally humid.
2: Hot. How do you? Bro, it's, it's so
0: hot. It's just humid. Both of you guys live in like a humid. Uh, Phil, I was just in Texas, so there's 10% humidity in Sacramento. I was just in Texas where it was 55%, and I thought I was gonna die. I'm like, this is crazy. I was doing a wedding in a suit. I'm like, this, how is this even possible? And then I looked up Atlanta, Phil. It said 97% oh, humidity. 97. Oh,
1: 97. It's brutal. Now listen, you, that's Atlanta awful. is. Uh, an incredible place to live 11 months of the year. <laughs> and then August, it is hor- horrible. You just learned to live inside. It's only But You just learned to live inside. Well, it's June. Yes, it's so it's that humid, but it's still in like the uh, high seventies, low eighties. But August it reaches the high nineties, low hundreds, and high, that level. Of and that level I mean, of I can't tell you how many days in August are a hundred degrees and hundred percent humidity, <laughs> and it is, it is, it is a representation of hell. It is that's, the manifestation oh, of oh, wow. like a that's, present that's wrath a, of God trying to invite oh, you to represent. That's wow, a full blown rainforest.
0: Gosh, like,
2: everything Phil says is theological. Oh, it all goes everything. theological.
0: Do you have to make it us sarcastic? To, like some. <laughs> But to make a sarcastic joke about hell? What's going on here, Phil? Yeah. <laughs> <That's
1: so funny. laughs> I'll tell you, you have to get used to it though. You have to get used to it. It, it took Are me about four used years to, it? to adjust. It, or do you well, just I mean, not go outside? Hard, but it's very different. No, you yeah, in August you choose to get around AC as much as possible. But it really did take me like four years to figure out how to live in humidity.
0: It's amazing. Uh Andy, do you
2: do you have is there really island fever? You know, I don't know because I travel so much that I've never been here long enough to get it. If that's there probably, was, yeah, I, that's sure. interesting. Yeah, you
0: guys are out <laughs> yeah. so much that you're not really stuck,
2: <laughs> right? Right. But p- other people definitely talk about it.
0: Have you noticed this? With so when I was in Hawaii, and if you've ever been to Hawaii, you got to go. It's an unbelievable place, and Maui. I've I've been to a couple islands. Maui is one of my favorite places on the planet, but it is slower. Maui was like they they like were driving slower. We went to the grocery store and my wife finally just started helping the bag boy bag the groceries. He was so slow. I went to a subway. This is true. That I kid is you hilarious. not. She was like kind of standing there, like patiently waiting, and finally she's like, I can't take this anymore. I just have to help this guy. He's just so slow. And then we went to a subway. Like, do you find this to be true, Andy? We went to a subway. This went to a subway. I have never seen somebody make a subway sandwich as slow as this guy did.
2: Oh, it was guys, just unbelievable. Is it's, it like am, it I, is am I lying? No, everything. Road construction is years. Like one road, (laughs) one stretch of highway is like a three, four year project. And the customer service for the most part is awful because it's Hawaii, you can get away with it. So like totally. you amazing. know everything is slow. I mean, you're not necessarily going to get a ton of love like you know you kind of feel like you're you're a bother when yeah, you show up at totally. a restaurant sometimes. That's like, amazing. why are you here? Now when, I have to serve you.
0: When you're at, when you're on vacation it works. Like, when you're on vacation, I'm not in a hurry. We're we're, we're fine. I'm going to take my time. And I just thought if I lived here
1: <laughs> it would,
2: yeah. It would def- yeah, definitely. It, it's definitely a different pace it's so of life. It's so slow,
1: guys. Yeah, I remember yeah. one of the last times I was actually there with you in Kona, Andy. I, I, I randomly was driving somebody who was part of the YWA base. And I think of myself as a very normal driver. But this is exactly what they said. Like five minutes in, they go, Oh, I haven't driven with somebody from the mainland in a while. And
2: apparently I was driving so aggressively <laughs> that they're like, They just did. And I was like, Oh, that's, that's funny. That's concerning. Yeah. No, that's real, guys. It's gonna be the end of me is, is getting behind slow cars. Nothing <laughs> makes me manifest and meet, and potentially pursue counseling more, yes, more than slow Hawaii drivers. Absolutely. It's bad. Well,
0: listen, I'm excited to jump into a conversation with you, Andy. We could have had you on for a variety of things, uh um, missions, evangelism, adoption, heart of God, all that type of stuff you cover unbelievable, but today I actually want to talk to you about vision, getting vision and just executing all that's involved. Before we do jump into that conversation though, I did tell you about World Vision. I want you to hear a quick explanation of what we're doing in partnering with Chosen and we'll be right back with Andy.
3: In the world's most fragile places, devastating aftershocks of the COVID-19 crisis are pushing families deeper into poverty putting kids at greater risk of hunger, malnutrition, violence, and neglect. Child sponsorship is you making a decision to provide $39 a month for a child in their community in extreme poverty to provide the most basic necessities of life. But most importantly, you provide hope. It is one of the most effective ways to help the world's most vulnerable children and their communities address the impacts of this pandemic and lift themselves out of poverty for good, especially now. The reality is thousands of children are waiting to be sponsored, but what you don't know is everything is about to change. For the first time, World Vision is inviting you to empower a child through sponsorship, yet instead of you choosing them, they choose you, something no organization has ever done before. It doesn't matter who you are, or where in the world you live every single one of us wants to be seen to be loved to be chosen put the power to choose in a child's hands and give someone a chance to step into a life-changing relationship with you text podcasts to 56170 and sponsor a child now All right. Well, listen,
0: we really are honored to partner with World Vision. If you want more information, worldvision.org slash Jesus Culture, you can get more information there. And I just encourage you, check it out. Let's be a part of uh, helping people who are on the front lines and partnering with God, changing the world in these practical ways. Andy. Great to have you on. I'm going to have you very quickly just kind of tell us a little bit of your history. And what I want to do is I've walked with you. So, Andy, you're a friend. I've walked with you. When we sat down and started talking about taking kind of these 12 podcast sessions to talk about leadership, I just said, hey, listen, I want to have Andy on in particular because um, so much of leadership is getting vision, but then it's executing vision and all that's involved with that. Um, Can you give some quick context though for people that maybe don't know who you are, who you are and what you're doing? And then we're gonna jump into kind of your send story because one of the most profound stories I've heard of really just a vision grabbing hold of your heart, but then the real work (laughs) that began once you got a hold of that vision, um, so can you just kind of give a, uh, give a quick synopsis of who you are?
2: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So I'm so stoked on this conversation. I hope it can be so practical and inspirational for different leaders. And, um, I think a lot of people are asking these questions. I know I'm asking them. So, um, yeah, I've been working with YWIM for the last uh, 22 years, been married for 20 years and, uh, we've got six kids and based out of Kona, Hawaii, which we made fun of plenty already. And, um, and we've been, you know, do, doing, training and sending young people long term and short term really for the last, uh, you know, for the last couple of decades, that's what we've been heavily focused on training discipleship and sending and uh, we love what we get to do. And then out of that was where the send was birthed, which was this kind of mass, um, mobilization movement to activate believers, both locally and globally. And so we've done a couple stadium gatherings with that in Orlando and then in Brazil, and headed towards um, Kansas City, Norway, and Argentina next year. So those are kind of the two worlds I live in. One is kind of more focused on the frontiers and uh, you know, frontier areas of the world with little gospel access. Um, and then the other is kind of focused on on the major the world, you know, where there's lots of youth movements and churches and mobilizing and activating. Mm-hmm. And in the middle of it all is young people, which is our, you know, kind of our primary passion. So that's yeah. a bit of what we've been doing.
0: Come on, well, we're gonna jump into the story of the Send and Vision. I do wanna say this, I'll just throw it out right now. Uh, people to people to partner with, but um, you know, we obviously as a church have partnered with you and, and many people, but you know, if, if, if people are listening right now and you are looking for, you know, where to partner or where to invest or uh, uh, as far as missions, I would encourage you not only to look at what they're doing in Kona, but also uh, even to support Andy. He's not asking for this right now. I'm going to throw this out. Uh, If you go to geezculture.com and then go to the giving page, if you do the drop down menu, there's actually a section uh, to support Andy. And just uh, so convinced, uh, so convinced that what you're doing and all the things that you're involved in, I can't think of a better place to partner. Andy, talk to me a little bit about this um, the send. Here's what I want to talk about. We're talking about leadership. And I think anybody that really steps in and says, I want to step out and embrace the call to lead on my life. I want to I want to take responsibility for the influence that God's given me. I want to step out and go for it. It's going to require vision, and then it's going to require the execution of that vision. Can you just talk to talk to us about and you could tell your story if you want in this, but talk to us about just how do people really grab a hold of a vision? How do people really actually get that vision? not just as something that is kind of out there but really kind of possessing their heart.
2: Yeah, great question. I I ought, can really just relate or share a little bit from our own journey on it, but I I heard Lauren Cunningham say this once it really struck me and it was a paradigm shift for me in terms of vision. And uh he it was Lauren is a very happy you know, big vision, you know, communicator. Every once in a while we see Lauren kind of a little bit more emotional, like something God's where he's really touching his heart. And it's always um, it's always quite unique. It's it's quite incredible. And one of those moments was I was alone with Lauren. He shared with me, just said, Andy, so many people want to tell God what's on their hearts. He goes, But I've always just tried to be someone who found out what was on God's oh, heart. Oh,
0: come on. And
2: and then Jeez. did it. And it was that to me was like really simple but a paradigm shift where we have a lot of, you know, coaching and and messaging. And I think a lot of it's actually really good on discovering personal destiny and calling. And and I think there could be a lot of positive in all that, but I think it's got to begin with Lord, at the end of the day, I don't really want to do what's on my heart. I want to do what's on your heart. Mm -hmm. How do I join what you're already doing? And I think any vision that really has, you know, impact on, on family, friends, community, city, whatever nation It's got to be born in the heart of God. And it's a person who is so surrendered to that purpose that really what we do and how we feel about it is sort of secondary to knowing that it's connected to the passion and the zeal on God's heart. So I would say that was really, when it comes to the send, it can all come down to one moment. I'll just share this in a minute. But uh, the last day of my 29th year, a man came through and spoke at a meeting here on one of those classic Thursday nights, both of you guys have been to. And real kind of monotone, he was British, he was a, a journalist actually for decades in the Middle East. And he just very simply told the story of William Wilberforce and the Clapham sect. And then at the end of his altar call, he said, hey, if is there, you know, these guys believe for England and they had the heart of God for the ending of slavery, the reformation of the nation, and a true spiritual awakening, and they did it. And then he simply said, is there anyone who could believe for that in this room for America? Is there a people like William Wilberforce or the Clapham sect? And they did an altar call and they said, This is for only for those wow. who are under 30. Wow. And it was the last day of my 29th year. I literally was oh turning gosh. 30 the next day. And uh, I, I ran forward. And it, for me, it was a moment where I feel like I touched something in God's heart that I had never touched before over his passion for America wow. in a way that maybe I had touched for Afghanistan or I had felt that for Nepal or i had felt that for Bhutan, but something rocked me for America. And I felt like in that moment, God's heart for America became a seed in my heart that eventually led to the, what we ended up doing with the sand and many other things. So it, it all started there with tapping into something in God's heart versus continually going to him with what maybe was in my heart.
0: Yeah. I love that. I, I do think there's such a, um, with if we're not careful, even preaching about vision becomes very self-centered. Right. It, it, what's what's on your heart? What's your vision? It's, it's with, without even knowing it, we can become very kind of self-centered in even our approach of vision. And I love what Lauren's talking about. Rather than like, What's the heart of God? Like what is it that's on his heart? What is it that brings him pleasure? What is it that he's given you as an assignment? I do think more and more it's very interesting. I begin to think less vision and more assignment. I think that what's on your I think that what's on your heart can direct you to what's on God's heart. Does that make sense? I think that part of the discovery process of what's on God's heart can very much be linked to the things that you have passion for and all that type of stuff. But 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 it is still that thing of like, God, what is on your heart and what's my assignment? More than vision, what's on your heart and what's my assignment?
1: I think there's something incredible actually about that principle because I've even, you know, Andy, it's, I love the way you're articulating this because it's made me think about my own life. Actually, when I have come to the place where I've let what's on God's heart not only be my, my yes, but then I let it become my heart, there is a different authority. It comes out of my own life when that happens. And it's almost as if there, the, there's a, an empowerment, not only to that vision, but there's an empowerment yeah. to execute it in a totally different way. And it sometimes that's, I think, one of the keys is that we actually have to, sometimes it starts with a yes to what's in God's heart, even if our yes. heart's a little bit further away. But this is the beauty of what he does when we start to say yes to what's on his heart. He brings our heart into alignment. And next thing I know, all I want is what he wants. Yeah, yeah. And then there's an authority that comes out of this place. And here, I actually, here's a question I have for you. So I, I have to set it up for a quick second. I joke with Andy all the time. If YOM had a local church denomination, I would be it <laughs> because I'm. I feel like I'm a there's a YWAM. There's a YWM essence in who I am. That's uh, come on, never gone away listen. And- if
0: you know YWAM, you know this. Once a YWAMer, always a YWAMer. Always a YWAMer.
1: It's the true. one. It's
0: <laughs> the. It's the one thing. Once you join YWAM, it's like the. <laughs> it, you can never get out ever. It's always it's true. in your blood.
1: So, so, but so in that right, it's been a huge part of my my life, and the the joy and the honor of being able to go and be a part of and speak at basis specifically to go to Kona and be a part of Fire and Fragrance. The one thing that I've that is in Fire and Fragrance, and I mean this, is there is an expectation and a culture for encountering God unlike anything I think I've ever seen before, like in the mm. mass level that it's in. There is literally, it's not just a person or a group. There is a culture of radical hunger and expectation for God. And I just even think about that part because uh here's my question for you. Obviously this is a work that the Lord does. So I have we don't even need to we don't even need to ask or settle that question. That is a work of the spirit that requires the spirit, but it also requires us partnering Stewarding, growing, learning—like, what was it like, Andy, to have a vision of that kind of culture, and then seeing it come to pass? Because I think mm. if any, anyone here who's listening, who's a leader, I'm just telling you—you, you—if yeah. you, you saw what's happening in Fire and Fragrance. It would put a seed in your heart if you saw that spirit. This is what would radiate inside of you. I have to give my life to something like this. All I want is in my own culture for this kind of radical hunger and expectation to consume. So even having this conversation with you, Andy, I think it's the like having the vision of that, but then getting there, which is so rare. Yeah, I I would love to ask like what 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 do you remember about that journey that actually led from A to B?
2: Yeah. Wow. I love that guys. And so encouraged that you'd even say that, um, is what sticks out to you in the culture. It's certainly been a desire and a goal. And I think we feel like sometimes we're doing it better than others, but, um, I would say a couple of things that early on when that really became a strong value for us, a culture of spiritual hunger is, um, it is a battle. And I think we all face that every leader listening right now faces the same battle to recognize we are in a culture war. And the question is, who's going to win the culture war? Uh, there's no, there is no uh, white flag. There is no timeout in the culture war. There's no home base that you can just pretend like the culture war is not happening. And for us, every three months, we get a whole nother group of students. So the culture war begins all over again. Mm. And I think in some ways, actually, that has played to our favor because our staff never gets stagnant in creating culture. Every oh, wow, three months, they're powerful. forced to create the culture wow. again. And, I, and I think problem. that had to be a little bit of the strength of some of the people movements in history, even today, or even the early church, is that so much of the growth of the church was new believers. So you were constantly having to create wow. culture again. Wow! So then your, your leaders never get stagnant in culture and, and essentially powerful. plateau, Yeah, but you you've got another new believer who needs to learn the basics of following Jesus here. We've got another 300 Mm. students coming in that are coming from a culture of maybe performance or consumerism. And we are in an all out battle to help lead them into spiritual hunger. And our staff have to stay in the battle Mm. or we end up looking at our quarter going, this is not what we are living for. This is not the vision, right? So then we're forced to fight again. So I think it keeps our guys sharp and on the edge. And some would see the transientness as a disadvantage. I actually see it as an advantage in that sense. So I think that's been one of the breakthroughs in that is, is never growing stagnant and having to create new culture for new people. I've
0: heard the same thing about church planners that they, they when they were in a mobile setting, there was just a pioneer spirit on what they were doing. And then they get into building and all of a sudden they begin to lose that pioneer spirit. That's incredible, Andy, that just right there. Honestly, that's speaking to me so strongly. Andy, let me ask this, um, um, you get a vision. And again, we could unpack uh, these, these podcasts or sometimes we're just hitting somewhat the, you know, the 30,000 view. Uh, but you get a vision, people have a vision here. I think we all applaud it, right? I think we're all excited about the vision. We're excited about changing the world. We're excited about stadium gatherings. We're excited about planting a church. We're excited about starting a business. We're excited about God using us. But I don't know if we always connect the fact that that vision is going to be connected to work, to sacrifice, (laughs) to risk, and it really requires execution like a vision without execution yeah. is is you know is something to get excited about and i think the older i get the more impressed i am i'm less impressed with people with vision i'm more impressed with people yeah. who are actually executing what's on their heart because so the execution requires can you tell some of your journey? I know that you're, you' you know the Lord really put in your heart to begin to mobilize, gather stadiums as you yeah. stepped out, not were you surprised because you've been around for a while in leadership, but can you just what, what would you tell people about this thing of There's real risk, there's real sacrifice, there's real leadership skills needed in execution in order to really see mm. that vision unfold?
2: Yeah man, I love that. and isn't that true? It's like when we're younger and we so aspire to leadership. And, you know, just the glamour of it, the, you know, whatever, everything we think. And then you, the more you leave, the more you're like, what was I thinking? Can I get back to a little less responsibility? Um, I think you're so right. And I think it is the dividing line between leaders who mark history and those who don't is those who are willing to work and never quit. And um, I just think that's the dividing line. I think there's a lot of people that die with a lot of vision in their journals that never got walked out. And then I think there are people who leave a true mark on history and a true mark on others. And they're those who are willing to take even less vision than maybe those who had great journal entries, but to do the hard work, the grit, the endurance, the sacrifice. And that is truly the dividing line in history. And that is truly the dividing line today where maybe work ethic isn't as revered as it has been in wow. previous generations.
0: Yeah, and, totally.
2: and so I think that, you know, we've just got to be a people that value that and see the dignity of hard work and find God in hard work. And it is, it's a huge amount of execution. Honestly, it floored me when we had the vision for the first stadium in Orlando, I had never even led a conference before. So, you know, going from like schools <laughs> of like 300 to hoping to fill a stadium with 60,000 people. I mean, the learning curve was so <laughs> steep. I literally, I felt I almost died almost every day. It was so over my head. This
0: isn't even sarcasm when what you're saying, and I think it's important because we joke a lot, but there's real stress that you had to navigate.
2: Oh, oh. Sleepless nights. It nice. was overwhelming. Yeah. And you get it. And, and honestly, you were. You were super helpful to me. And honestly, I think this is an important thing I'll say is when I called you at the very beginning with this vision and the opportunity, and you said something to me I never forgot and I needed for the year ahead that would be the hardest year of my life in terms of of work and pressure, expectations, the potential for failure, risk. You said, Andy, even if it doesn't fill up, even if it's not as incredible as you thought, even if you don't pack it out, even if not everybody goes on board with you, he goes, when you're 80 years old, sitting in your rocking chair, what will you be grateful that you did? That you held back and you were hesitant and you played it safe? Or will you be grateful that no matter the outcome, you risked it all for God, for the gospel and for the kingdom? And you use that mm-hmm. rocking chair analogy. And for me, that was, I was like, okay, I'm in. This isn't about whether 60,000 come. This is about obeying God. And this is about the dignity of the hard work to do everything to see that, um, happen. And the pressure was overwhelming. And honestly, I didn't know that kind of pressure existed. Um, and, and for me, the hardest thing was actually finding my bearings in the midst of the pressure. It was that I was so used to finding home in a certain way, like Mm, finding home with God. And all of a sudden that pressure pushed me out of my normal surroundings and I couldn't find home anymore. And it took me months Boy, to realize that I was trying to change my circumstances to get back to my previous understanding of home. And instead, God was wanting to build a home so with good. me in my new circumstances. Man, Under amazing. that kind of pressure, he wanted to build a home with me. And that changed everything. That was probably four or five months into the journey. And it was a literally one moment. It was an overnight moment where, where I felt like all of a sudden I found my bearings because I found home with God in the pressure. I couldn't get out from underneath the pressure. So they were real deadlines. It's real hard work. There was really needed to be uh, millions of dollars raised. Those, yeah. those those I couldn't get out from under that. I couldn't pretend that away. I had to find God in the midst of it. And that's what changed everything. So
0: this is what I want people to hear. You had a vision and man, it's exciting. The Lord spoke to me. There's prophetic swirling, I got the heart of God. We're going to fill a stadium. From that vision to actually fill in a stadium, which you did, is a lot of work, a lot of pressure, oh, a lot of stress. And And, and here's the deal is that many people, they get confused by it. I, I think that we've been having these conversations that we have so yeah. associated comfort with good and discomfort with bad that anytime we're in an yeah. uncomfortable position, we assume it's bad. But, but, but so you're in that situation and, and people get confused, they get frustrated, they get annoyed, they get irritated. Rather than what you're saying is, is it was an invitation, to a deeper level yeah. of trust, yes. to a deeper level of intimacy, to, to finding a new home in a beautiful way. And I just am like, it's incredible. I want to talk real quick about, I want to just touch base on this thing with the work ethic. And Phil, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this because I think it's just in society. Society has is programming people. Again, we've got people listening from all over the world. So I'm going to talk America-centric and probably maybe Western world but society has so programmed, people to believe that they deserve things. Yeah, yeah. You deserve things. You deserve your dream. You deserve your dream house. You deserve that vacation. You deserve whatever. I actually was just in Texas driving, and I saw it was a, you know kind of an accident attorney. You know they got those those billboards all over the place. Yeah, yeah yes. And the accident and, and the phrase was this: "Get the money you deserve." That was the phrase. And I just thought, man, that's so fascinating to me that we really believe we deserve something. And then we get into a situation like vision and things like that, and we get so frustrated and so irritated, but it's because we believe we deserve something. We deserve for our dreams to be fulfilled. We deserve for all this type of stuff. As you're pastoring and walking with people, Phil, what have you encountered with that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's, a, it's actually a really significant, crisis that I think is happening in so many people's lives. And I think there's two things, I think there's probably a lot of things that are happening, but two things stand out to me in that, uh, that the first is that people uh, have put their meaning in the wrong things. And so they uh, don't know how to actually, they basically saying, if I'm really meaningful, then my life will look like this. And so what they feel, what gets expressed is like this I, I'm owed this is actually their deepest fear of I'm not meaningful if this isn't true yeah it's good and so there's this place of where they're they're actually placing their meaning in all the wrong places and that in the way how do we measure meaning in our world visibility right so if I'm not visible I'm not meaningful so if I'm hidden away doing hard work I'm not meaningful and so people wow. have the, have abandoned the idea of grinding out meaningful work that's hidden Because nobody can see, I can't Instagram it. I can't, I can't, I can't get, you know, I can't prove it. It's, it's a secret work. It's a me work. It's a me and God work. And so there's a complete abandonment of so many of the places, because even you, the three of us know even where we've wrestled with that, but where that happens in our lives is because I'm grinding out something because I know who I am in Christ. I know what he's asked me to do. And I want to say yes. And I want to love him. I don't need anybody to see that, but that's because I have my meaning fixed in the right place. And so I think that's a huge problem that actually people don't realize how like it, it, this moves out and it echoes into every single part yeah, of their life. Yeah, I love it. Wow. And you got to get wow. there because
0: there's a lot of work involved. Andy, before we close and we're just about to wrap up, uh, uh, people are listening right now, um, and, uh, and, and we, I mean, all over the world are listening. Am I right, Phil? All over the world right. on, uh, on treadmills and in subways and in their, <laughs> and in, in, in their, in their bedroom, on their way to work. Um, uh, what's your advice to them as we kind of wrap up today? What's that thing that you would tell them? Those that start here, they have vision, but they're encountering the struggle of seeing that vision happen, the execution of it, the risk of it, from having a vision to stadiums to stadium looked a little bit different than you thought. What's the, what's the input you have for
2: him? Yeah, I, I'd say one simple thing maybe that summarizes a number of things we all touched on is we can't see success as the end point. Success has to be the journey. Therefore, work isn't just an, a means to an end work is an end in and of itself. So there's dignity and glory in simply obeying the dignity and the glory is not just in the final product, the execution reaching its culmination, the dignity, the glory, the power, the relationship, it's all in the obedience. So I would say it as simple as this is that obedience is success, not full stadiums. Obedience is success. It reminds me, Ben, and I don't, I don't know if you remember this. I'm sure you do. Um,
1: at the Jesus culture conference where Reinhard Bonnke spoke, it was easily one of the most meaningful words yeah. I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. And he tells the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 and giving the disciples the fishes and loaves and points out the picture that wasn't Jesus who uh, actually distributed the food. It was the disciples and, and Jesus gives this little bit of food to the disciples and sends him. I remember this phrase. He talks about the six feet between this huddle of Jesus and his disciples and the crowds, and would they believe God to do what he had asked them to do? Would they risk that failure was possible in front of them? And would they trust that obedience was actually the real success? And I remember Reinhard Bonnke used that phrase, that, that six feet between God asking you to do something and, and, and the manifestation of you trusting him to make it happen. He called it the graveyard of, uh, of of God's promises, that how wow. many people? What? How many people went into the ground with promises in their bones, but they couldn't walk Jeez. that six feet of obedience because if failure feels so real. Yes, yes. Uh, because yes. risk is so real. But that that word, Andy, is. So I mean, it's just it's so incredible it's the fact that if we could get it in our heart, that, yeah, that success is obedience, it would change yes. everything. Yeah, I love everything. it. everything.
0: Well, guys, thank you guys so much for jumping on and joining us. Andy, honestly, I, this is this is the hard part about podcasts. I guess if we were Joe Rogan, we'd do a four-hour podcast. We would just straight do four hours with Andy. But um, but alas, we are not Joe Rogan. So, uh, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. How do they find out about you? Uh, where, where are they going online? Where are they going on social media?
2: Yep, yeah, uh, Instagram is my main social media. So it's just AndyBird1. And then our main websites are ywimkona.org and thesend.org. I love
0: it. I love it. All right. right, we'll check that out. Also, for all you guys, remember World Vision, we're partnering with them. We'd love for you to check them out, worldvision.org slash Jesus Culture. Guys, thanks for jumping on as we've been going after more leadership topics on the Jesus Culture Podcast. Uh, listen, everywhere you listen to this, make sure you press the like button, the stars, comment, review, whatever else you do online. And uh, it was great having you hang out. We'll be back again.